This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Shavua Tov, Chodesh Tov, Shana Tova. Um, yes, I've been offline for quite a while, um, primarily mostly because every single Monday was a Yontov for the last while. I hope everybody had a fabulous Yontov period. And we're now into the month of Mar Cheshvan, the bitter Cheshvan, because guess what? We've got four normal weeks that, uh, that we can actually sit down and have a conversation. And I'm glad to be back, um, in this seat and I'm glad to have you listening out. As always, I like to, um, hear from you and see what you think or if we've got any questions to ask. The SMS number is 34519, telegram 061-895-1019. So, um, if you have anything on your mind or anything that I that I say or have any questions, please do not be shy. It took me a little while to uh, reorientate myself again as to where we had left off. We are sitting in the parsha of Lech Lecha, which very interestingly is the parsha that we are going to be reading this coming this upcoming Shabbat. In uh, the shuls, so it's pretty uh, uh, prevalent that we are learning that. Of course, we will be continuing learning Parshat Lech Lecha moving forward as we are going through the Chumash. We're on the third Parsha. And um, we're going to zoom in. I think we left off at the end um, before the Yamim Tovim. We left off with the discussion of Abraham and how he killed the, um, he got, he went into war. Uh, with the four kings and the five kings, that whole uh, story, he released Lot and then God went and did a covenant with him, a Brit Ben Haptarim, that actually uh, was a prophecy of what the Jews what what the Jews will find themselves in until the arrival of Mashiach, until today's day. So if you want to catch up on those, as always, you can go back to the podcasts on Chai FM, search my name, and you will find it all there. This week we're going to start chapter 16 of Genesis, which is still in the Parsha of Lech Lecha, and I'm going to discuss the, the chapter in its entirety. It's a very, very short chapter. It's an incident that happens 10 years after Avraham um, finds himself in the land of Canaan. And um, it actually has a tremendous bearing on, on today, on what is happening on the world scene. And it also has numerous other lessons that we can learn from them. So anybody who is sitting with a, a Bible, with a Chumash, Open up chapter 16, verse 1 and 2. It goes as follows. V'sarai eshet Avram lo yalda lo. We're sitting now, as I said, 10 years into them having settled in the land of Canaan. Avraham's wife Sarai had not yet given him any children. shivcha mitzrit u'shma hagar. But she had a handmaiden. She had a hand servant, a lady, an Egyptian lady, and her name was Hagar. Now, for those who have not been following in, Hagar actually was a princess. She was the daughter of Paro in Mitzrayim when Abraham went down when there was a famine and that whole thing unraveled with Sarai and, and, um, 
Paro got struck down um, because he didn't realize that Sarah was in fact married. At the end, when they left, they were given um, gifts, and one of the gifts was that he said to his daughter, rather be a handmaiden in the house of Avraham than a princess in my my palace. She actually is also was the granddaughter of Nimrod, um, one of the kings that Avraham um, had many encounters with. And Nimrod was the one that threw the him into into the the, the fire. So Abraham's wife didn't give him any children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. But Tomer Sarai al Avram Sarai approaches Abraham and says says the following: Hinena atzarani Hashem miledet. Look, Hashem has stopped me or has prohibited me from giving birth. Bona al shivchati, marry my um, my maidservant. Okay, marry her. Ulai ibane mimena. Perhaps I will build through her. Meaning, use Hagar as the surrogate mother. Perhaps um, she will give her a child and we can build up with her. Vayishma Avraham. Avraham lekol Sarai. And Avraham listened to what uh, Sarai said. So basically what Sarah was doing is that she realized she was close to 80 years old. She had not yet any children and she knew that part of the promise of Abraham was that they needed descendants because we were going to be as many as the stars of the heaven and as much as the dust of the earth. And since she could see that she was not, she was not able herself, she offered up Hagar as a surrogate, um, as a concubine, as they called them in the olden days, for him to have children. And this happened, Avram's wife Sarai took Hagar, the Egyptian, her maid, after Avram had lived in the land of Canaan for 10 years, and she gave her to Avraham as a wife. Verse 4, Vayavo el Hagar, so Avraham marries Hagar, Vatahar, and she actually conceives, Vatere ki harata, um, she becomes pregnant, Vatekal givrata be'eneha. And suddenly when she realizes Hagar that she is pregnant, she looks upon her mistress, i.e. Uh, Sarai, with contempt. So whilst Sarah did a very good move and it was actually quite um, magnanimous of her to give over Hagar as a concubine, as a surrogate to Avraham, once Hagar fell pregnant, there was a lot of friction that began to develop, and in fact, our rabbis teach us it was it happened pretty quickly because Hagar conceived on the first night of their marriage. And what was the contempt? Um, it was because Sarai was a very, very beautiful woman. We remember the entire story that um, happened with with them in Egypt, okay, and Avram was very aware of it, hid her in, 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 a, in a box and tried not to let Paroi or anybody else look upon her. Even though she was 80 years old, she was still very, very beautiful. 
And um, Hagar wasn't, but Hagar managed to fall pregnant. And so she went and kind of said, look, my mistress Sarai is not as good as she seems to be. You think she's such a saint, but that's not the case. Look how long she's been married to Abraham for without having children. And look at me. I became pregnant on my first night. Um, so she started treating Sarah with a lot of contempt. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. We just left off where, where Sarai does something really nice to Abraham, gives over her maidservant as a surrogate for him. And as soon as the surrogate mother Hagar um, manages to fall pregnant, a lot of friction happens. And here we get a very, very interesting insight into marriage, um, into the way that we, we need to behave. And hey, we actually see that Sarah and Avram were, were, were normal human beings running a normal household. Sarah gets really, really upset because now she's, she's pretty snubbed and, um, Hagar is looking down upon her with contempt and she turns around by, uh, by your, um, sorry, and she turns around and Sarah says, Vatome Sarah al Avram, she says to Avram, Hamasi alecha anochi, this outrage, is really all your fault. This this entire situation now where Hagar is sitting and mocking me and strutting around, so to speak, like a peacock, is all your fault. Um, I myself placed my maid in your lap. And look, she, now that she sees herself pregnant, she looks upon me with disrespect. Yishpot Hashem beini ubeinecha. Let Hashem um, judge between me and you. So Sarah comes across up absolutely very, very hurt. And instead of saying something to Hagar, she she picks out her husband Avram and saying, this is not fair. Like this is something that I did um, out of my own goodwill. And look at it now. Now let Hashem make a judgment. The Midrash comes and gives a parable because we need to understand firstly the situation from Sarai. She has been um, infertile for many, many, many years, 80 years. Okay. Um, she has gone through thick and thin through dark times and happy times with Avraham. Obviously her dedication and intensity um, in in being a, a partner to Avraham is is very, very strong. And in order for her to to have a son in order to rear, so she thinks, um, in terms of 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 their, their destiny that they should have a son, she gives over a woman as a surrogate, and what happens in the entire thing is that it backfires, and um, she is treated with contempt, and she holds Avraham responsible for that. Uh, firstly, the midrash gives a, a, a marshal a parable that says the following: that one time two men were cast into prison, and one day the king passed. In front of the prison And one of those inmates cried out My lord, my king Please have mercy on me And free me And the king had mercy when he heard this plea And he gave an order for the prisoner to be freed Now the second prisoner Didn't know that the king had passed by And when he heard His cellmate um, 
you know, was about to be freed, he complained and he said to the cellmate, may God punish you. Because if you had asked the king to free both of us, I would have also gone free now. Um, and it was just as easy for you to ask the king to free two men as it was for you to ask for one man. Okay, you know that the king was obviously in a benevolent mood and now you've caused me pain and you've allowed me to remain in prison forever. So this really was the underlying idea of Sarai. She said to Abraham, you know, we both suffered the trials and tribulations of infertility. And if you go back to chapter 15, verse 3, you will see there that when Abraham asked God for children, he only asked for himself. He didn't ask for Sarai. Now you are having a child and I will not. How hard could it have been for you to have prayed for both of us? Why couldn't you have said to God, you have not given us any offspring? Had you prayed for me, she says, as well, we would have been prayed, we, we would have been blessed together. That was the first indictment that she had against her husband, Abraham. Um, and the second was that she felt um, unfairly treated insofar as when Hagar spoke against her or looked down at her and, 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 and you know, showed contempt to Sarah, Abraham remained quiet. Now, these are pretty harsh accusations against Abraham. And um, we are told that that she actually was in fact correct. Correct in that she had those accusations and correct that she didn't go against Hagar and um and 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 uh, you know pull her, pull her up about it. She went to her husband. And we need to understand that from a psychological point of view. And our rabbis come and teach something really, really interesting is that when one um, when one finds oneself in a situation where one needs to ask for something, one needs to be very um, careful as to whether you're asking for yourself or for other people that are involved with you. In fact, it goes as far as, and the Torah teaches this, and there are numerous, numerous teachings about it, that when, um, for example, you have a case where a person suffers infertility, one of the ways to guarantee um, that your request is answered from God is that you find somebody else that's infertile and pray for them, not for yourself, for them. Um, and there are many, many, many stories. I've personally met somebody. Um, I once was by a person's home in New York. Um, the the woman of the house was um, had difficulty having children for close on five years. She had a good friend also that um, could not fall pregnant, and they exchanged names. And whenever she had to daven, she had to pray, be it on the auspicious days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and really high holy days or any other time, she would pray for her friend to have a child, not her. And her friend did the same thing for her. Interestingly, uh, they both fell pregnant 
at the same time and neither told each other until they were close on five months because they did not want to upset the other that the one had fallen pregnant. It was actually a, a beautiful, beautiful story. So the rabbis come and teach that Number one, when you pray for yourself, you should also include other people and think of other people who are suffering the same trials and tribulations as you. Don't make it completely selfish. That's number one. Number two, when somebody is praying, um, praying for something, maybe go find someone who has that lack as well and just stay focused on that other person's lack because God says, I will answer you too since you had concern for another person. There's another very interesting story in the Talmud about Rav Khuna. Rav Khuna was a disciple of Rav and um, he once attended a lecture wearing a rope as a belt. And when Rav saw this, he asked Rav Khuna, um, why are you wearing such a cheap rope? So Rav Khuna replied that he lacked the money to buy provisions for Shabbos and he had sold his belt to purchase wine for Kiddush. So Rav replied and gave him a brocha. He said to him, may you always have a sash of the finest silk. Now Rav's blessing eventually came true and in a short while Rav Khuna was wearing the finest clothing. He landed up getting money and he was able to pull himself out of his difficulty. When Rav saw him, Again, he said to him, at the time that I blessed you, why did you not say, and also for you? It was a very holy time, and I would have also been included in the blessing. And so from this, not only do we learn that, A, one, when somebody has a need, they should also daven for somebody else or for those that are around you. Generally, most of your needs will involve other people say you are struggling in Parnosa. If you're married, obviously your lack of Parnosa will affect the rest of the family. So include the rest of the family in, 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 in that blessing, in that prayer. Also go find somebody other than yourself and daven for that person instead of yourself. You will know that God says, I will answer you too. And thirdly, we, uh, le- uh, we learn an important lesson from the Talmud here where it says when a person says l'chaim or when somebody gives you a blessing, you should respond, may it be increased by you or also for you. Kol meaning he who blesses should also be blessed because when someone wishes you well, you should respond by wishing him well as well. And that was really the the upset of Rav to Rav Huna and the upset of Sarah to Avram that he did not include her in his prayers while she had given Hagar like completely um, openly and uh, without any without any qualms. So what does Avram reply by Yome Avram El Sarai? So he says to Sarai, Hine Shifchatech, here is your maid, Biyadech, in your hands, I give her back um, to you. Asi Asi La Hatov do what you feel is good in your eyes. Vate Aneha Sarai, and so Sarai provoked um, Hagar, like uh, disciplined her. But Tivrach Mipanecha, and what happened was Hagar 
ran away. So Abraham went and said, look, your maid remains your possession. You can take her back again. You can do whatever you want with her. If she is so disrespectful, then she should be put back down into her position, to which Sarah, by the way, replied, um, once I gave her to you as a wife, she is free. She is no longer um, under my jurisdictions And all that I want now Is that you don't see her And that you have nothing to do with her And so Hagar At the end Is the one that lands up um, Being shunned What happens further from that She runs away Hagar Remember that she is pregnant with child Vayim malach Hashem Al ein hamayim bamidbar al ha'ain bederich shur. She runs away, Hagar, and an angel of God finds her by a spring in the desert. It was a spring on the way to Shur. Now our rabbis point out that in fact she actually saw four angels, not one angel, because if you look in the verses that follow that I will be reading to you, the word angel appears four times. So we are told that four angels appeared before Hagar. One after another. Now, here's something interesting. Um, you would think, why would Hagar, a hand servant, um, merit the appearance of angels? We're told that she wasn't frightened. She knew exactly who they were because she had always seen angels in Avram's house and she was used to them. Vayomer. And so the angel says, Hagar, Shifchat Sarai, Hagar, the maid of Sarai, Eimizebat ve'anatelchi, where are you coming from and where are you going? Vatomer, and she replies, Mipnei Sarai, Gvirti anochi borachat, I'm running away from my mistress Sarai. Vayomer la'malach Hashem, and the angel of God says to her, Shuvi el Gvirtech, you should return Back to your mistress, ani tachas yadecha, and you should submit yourself to her. You should go back to your former position. Vayomer la malachashem, and further, the angel of God said to her, Harbe arbe etzaracha velo yisaper merov. Don't worry, I will make your offspring numerous, and there will be as many that they will not be able to be counted. Vayomer la malach Hashem, and again the angel of God said, Hinach hara veyoladet ben vekarata shmo Yishmael. And behold, you are pregnant and you will have a son, and you will name him Yishmael. Ki shama Hashem is onyech, because God has heard your suffering. Vehu yihye pere adam. He will be a rebel. Yado bakol. His hand will be against everyone. Ve'yad kol bo, and everyone's hand will be against him. Kol echav yishkon, over all his brothers he will dwell. Vatikra shem adam, vatikra shem adam, hadover elecha, ata al roi, ki amra hagam halom raiti achare roi. So when she heard all of this, um, Hagar went and said, Hagar got a name of God and said, you are a God of vision. For, she said, did I also see something that thereafter Hashem saw me? Vayik, Kara Be'er, Be'er Lachai. She called 
this place, Be'er Lachai, the well of the living one. Um, uh, sorry, Be'er Lachai Roi, the bear, the, the well of the living one, Vihine ben Kadesh ben Barad. And it is found, uh, between Kadesh and Bered. So here we have the appearance of Four angels, if you heard from the way I was reading the verses, it says, that the angel of God spoke to him, and from there we get the understanding that there were actually four angels. The first angel asked, from where are you coming, and where are you going? The second angel went and said, I will make your Zaracha, your descendants, many. He also then told him what the name of the child will be and also said that he would be an Adam Pere, a, a, a very rebellious child. So Hagar gets this vision and this has tremendous, tremendous repercussions that we are going to discuss after the break. This is Mystical Text with Abel Kazilski. Just before we get into some of the deeper meanings of this entire encounter that Hagar has with these four angels, let's finish off the chapter of what actually happens once she has named the place and received the promise from the angels. Vateled Hagar la Avram ben. Hagar obviously returned back to Avram and she gives birth um, for Avram a son, Vayikra Avram et Beno, Asheyalda Hagar Yishmael. And Avram names his son that Hagar gave birth to Yishmael. Avram ben Shmonim Shana, Avraham was eighty, Shmonim Veshesh Shanim, eighty six years old, beledet Hagar et Yishmael la Avram, when Avraham, when Hagar gave birth to Ishmael. And that really concludes the chapter, but I want, I want to go back and I want to discuss a number of things. The first thing that I want to discuss is really a very perplexing question that you could ask if you'd listened to the verses as to the first request, the first question that um, the angel asked Hagar. If we go back, and for those that are following, I'm going to give you the exact Thing, the, the angel says, Vayomer, Hagar shifchat Sarai, Hagar the maidservant of Sarai, E mizebat ve'anatalchi. From where are you coming and where are you going? Now this is a pretty, pretty interesting question. Okay, let's understand again the tragic experiences of Hagar. Okay, they're lost in the desert. Okay, Avram, we're told um, in the commentaries that when um, they left the home, by the way, just in terms of time sync, when she left, she had left with the child. Okay, when I read the last two verses that she actually had given birth, she had given birth and then she was told to leave Basara. So she left with Ishmael. So Hagar took a small flask of water and she went into the desert and trouble began when the water was finally consumed and she landed up in a very desperate situation. Just think of it. Think of it. There she was, probably lost amidst a seeming, seemingly endless stretch of burning sand, no shelter, a blazing sun, and not a drop of water 
to wet the parched lips of a child. And um, she obviously, understandably, um, became very, very nervous, and she couldn't stand by and watch the dreadful torment of a, of a boy. And it says, we're told, that she, in utter desperation, she placed Yishmael under one of the dried-up shrubs, and she moved away, and she sat in the distance, and she cried. And that was at the point when the angel came to her. And what does the angel say to her? Malach Hagar. Hagar, what is with you? Why are you crying? And then, not only is he asking um, that question, Malach Hagar, he's saying, where did you come from? Where did you go? Well, let's put this in perspective. If you're an angel and you are carrying out a godly uh, uh, job, you would know what is wrong with Hagar. First of all, you could see it, okay? You could see the little kid under the dried-up shrub and Hagar moving away, and you know where she came from and where she went. Obviously, the angel's question of Malach Hagar, why are you crying, is something far deeper than just saying, like, what's the problem? Like, there's no water? What are you crying about? So we're told that, in fact, the... The, the angel, um, tells her what to do. So she, she replies, I, I ran away from my, my mistress. Okay. Um, so we're told that the angel actually said to her, Kumi, get up, get up and search for water. Why are you standing there with, uh, with, with absolute hopelessness? You should be looking under every shrub. If you can't find water under every shrub and and dig deep into the sand of the desert with your bare hands, maybe you'll find a hidden spring. Get up. Pick up your child. Okay? Don't just sit there and cry doing nothing for yourself or for him. Okay? And he actually helps her to to move on. And um, our rabbis come to teach us a very, very interesting idea from this incident is that when it comes to raising children, there are many, many times we might feel very exasperated, very frustrated with a sense of hopelessness that it's just way too difficult, too hard, with no no um, end in sight in terms of ensuring the child's survival, the child's well-being, the child's education, you fill in the blank. The blank. What we learn from the angel is that as a parent, one needs to turn the entire world upside down and one needs to make absolutely every effort without being unstoppable in finding something somewhere that will assist the child. And this is something that's very, very important. I know that um, as Jewish moms, we do take that a lot to heart. But there, there are times where one can and sometimes does feel exasperated that you've tried this and you've tried that and you've tried that and nothing has come of it. And you kind of put your child under the metaphorical shrub and just sit a distance away and cry. Never, ever cry. The angel of God comes to tell her that she needs to get up and she needs to find water and then return back and try reinstate the child back to the situation that um, that is correct. 
that's the first interesting um, lesson we learn. The second is a much, much deeper one that we could have a discussion about just for a short while um, in that what is it better to be, a giver or a taker? Now, I'm sure that as you're listening to this, everybody will go and say, a giver. Um, many times we're offered the opportunity to generously share what we have with others, and there we're, we're called givers. There might be times where we um, need to learn how to accept gifts offered to us by others, and then we would land up in the situation of being called a taker. So whether you're a giver or a taker, there is a correct way um, in order to do the act of giving or the act of taking. And we learn that primarily and profoundly from Sarai and Avram. In our case, Sarai was the giver, right? Sometimes, well, let's see the levels of giving. The worst level of giving is to say no and deny yourself the opportunity to give. So we ain't talking about that. Um, there are other times where you can offer the gift, but you come with such a heavy heart. Okay, you might as well, you're going through the motions of giving, but you aren't really giving of yourself. The best way to give is to give wholeheartedly, not that you're merely giving the gift, but that you're actually giving of yourself. Because when you give in that way, you're actually giving up your old self, which is selfish, and transforming yourself into something that is bigger and better. And that's the way Sarai behaved. Sarai was, as we know, was married for many, many years. She couldn't have any kids, and she knew what it meant to have a son. And so can you imagine how, where she had to find, how, how deep she had to dig in to say to Avram, take my hands over it and let her be the surrogate mother so that we could give birth, we could raise somebody who is going to inherit from us. So from a giver point of view, here we can see Sarai giving beyond the call of duty. This really was beyond that she gave up her husband. After the break, we're going to talk about how is it, what best position is it that we should hold when we are a taker. This is Mystical Text with Adel Kazilski. Welcome back, and we just got to finish the last part of what we were discussing. And I think most people understand the art of giving, that when one gives selflessly and one gives of oneself, that is the highest form of giving. But one can also become a very, very um, sensitive taker. Now, generally, when a person is a taker, it's looked Upon negatively, because it's either something that you want or you feel that you deserve. If you look at the way Abraham um, took this gift, so to speak, it said he only took Hagar when he listened to his wife Sarai, which means that he was sensitive to where Sarai was and that um, even though it became painful for him as well for not having a child. He understood the pain of Sarai and he landed up taking 
Hagar for Sarah's sake. So he received the gift not for his own sake, but for the sake of Sarai. And this really is quite an interesting thing because when one takes something from someone at such a level, even a taker is transformed into a very, very um, high individual, very, very sensitive individual. And so when we see, when we look at this whole trying episode of, of what happened in the life of Abraham and Sarai, we learn that the basis of a great relationship is always what? Selflessness and sensitivity. Sarai comes to teach that there should be an act of giving that is so profound and done so um, wholeheartedly that in the process they give of themselves, which she did. And Abraham teaches that the act of taking can be done so altruistically that the taker's only intention is to grant the giver the opportunity to give. So whether we give or we take, and my blessing to you is that we should always be givers, not takers. Remember that we should always think of the other person in mind. We should pray for others in the same situation. And when we ever receive a blessing, we should rebound. We should send that blessing back on to the other person. And with that, I leave it for this week. Unfortunately, next week... Unfortunately, maybe for you, fortunately for me, I will have the honor, the schut, the merit of being in the land of Israel. But I will be back thereafter to continue learning the beautiful words of Chumash with you. Have a good day.